We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Wednesday, January 31st episode. We have a pretty good show for you lined up on the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm Jake Burns here with Andrew Spade. We have, uh, listen, the Senior Bowl is rocking and rolling. We have updates from uh, standout performances on that side. We have a lot of NFL coaching decisions that correlate, some to the Browns, some to the league-wide picture, and uh, an AFC front office member of significance moving along as well, which we will talk about all of those things. Uh, before we do, uh, a couple things I want to hit on, which is every day I want to hit on something Ken Dorsey. We'll talk about that in just a moment as we learn more and more about who he is as an offensive coordinator, what he's bringing to Cleveland. And but listen, Andrew, as, as we start, I got to I got to get from you the Oppenheimer view. Most people who come to this podcast for a long time have uh, maybe fast forward through this. I don't know, whatever your prerogative is. No, but, people have been waiting for this for a week. Well, you know, I'm a big Nolan guy and I always like opinions on on his yep. stuff and I've been pressuring you, peer pressuring you for a significant amount of time to get this movie consumed. Mm-hmm. You did the right thing, which was break it up a little bit, even if it was unintentional. Yeah. You did the right thing. And even in the movie theater, it's like, whew, I could really use a restroom break. I wonder how many people had some Gatorade bottles sitting on the floor, right? <laughs> Probably frowned upon I, yeah. in the movie theater. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's generally considered bad form. I did not have to resort to tactics such as those, thankfully. Uh, was able to uh, consume the entirety of the movie from my own home over the course of a few days. Uh, life, life stuff got in the way a few times, but I got it finished last night, and um, I'm very happy to report that it's a good film. And I think that the stuff around the actual story of the bomb being built is interesting just from like a sort of ticking clock aspect right of how are they going to get this done how are they going to get bring all the materials to go to, together that i understand the desire to uh tell that story while at the same time telling the story of of how you know his public reputation was sort of smeared by um this conniving washington dc guy and i i understand the the benefit of that in terms of humanizing oppenheimer because i think if you just talk about the bomb part it doesn't maybe look make him look the best overall that was the part of the movie that i was drawn to more because 
it's one of the great historical accomplishments, even if it ultimately didn't really do much good in the world. But, you know, yeah. then then like parsing the entire conversation about ending a war versus letting it prolong and how, how you weigh different lives and, and all of that is also a, a really difficult and thorny conversation. You know, I, I think... I think that part of the movie was really well done. I, I think that you, there's like a conversation about the necessity of telling that later story again to kind of humanize him and make him a little bit more of a uh, sympathetic character because he went through adversity post-war, mm-hmm. taking the stands that he did. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's... <laughs> It is tough to tell a nuanced story about a guy who is responsible for inventing the atomic bomb, right? Like, yep, <laughs> it's it's really hard. I, I find myself as I'm watching like the Masters of the Air, or whatever, to think like, will we ever run out of like World War II? At what point do we cross the threshold of like old war movies and and TV shows? Like when it's just too much. It's I, been yeah. going for too long. I mean they. You're driving like the comic book stuff was driven around the Second World War. Like, I understand it was a pinnacle and American achievement to get that war as a victory, but like, we're in 2024 and we're still making things, you know, movies yeah. about this war so long ago. So I, I don't know if it's just like nostalgia stuff. Like they, they just really love telling these victorious stories, and you know, I obviously know that they don't tell many stories about the conflict in Vietnam or mm. Korea, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the volume is quite a bit different there. So I don't know. I just kind of find it interesting. And the story of Oppenheimer is, is great. And I enjoyed the acting. I thought Robert Downey was phenomenal. Oh, incredible. Yeah. A, bu- a bunch of really good performances, mm-hmm. a bunch of like, oh, I didn't know he was in this when I originally saw it. You know what I mean? So yeah, they nailed it. They did. They Casting did. The acting really was great. It was, it was great. It's just how many of these are we going to keep going back to? No, I hear you. Time? I hear you. Know? you. I, I mean, it's a, it's definitely an, an area of interest for me, but I do think it's a fair question to to wonder at what point those stories do kind of get a little bit. It's not even so much that they're not interesting; it's that they're it be, it's less relevant, right? I mean, because yeah. at this point now, you you would struggle to find people that that uh, were not that were alive, but were, that were adults that were involved, those sorts of things, yeah. right? There are not a lot of World War II veterans. Uh, How still, many World War II veterans are are still living? I, I it's got to be actually, it's got to be a small number. It's got to be a small number. It's, so it's getting there. It's yeah. one hundred and twenty thousand are still alive today, yeah. roughly. This was yeah. not, I don't know when that's published, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. yeah, it is. It is getting it's getting smaller. I don't know, man. I I do think there'd be some more relevant stuff because I'm looking at that and I'm like, yeah, okay. So we're gonna you know kind of glorifying that generation over and over and over oh, and over for sure. again. Well, and, it's, uh, it is like you said; it was a, a pretty good victory for the U.S. to get. So, like, yeah, yeah. If, if the if the Browns beating the 49ers this year was like a real important win for the culture, I think you could kind of say the same thing about the the U.S. winning World War II. Pretty good, pretty strong win for the culture, right? We're kind of co- in some ways maybe coasting on that reputation, but I don't want to get too far off track here. Yeah, we're off in the <laughs> we're off in a different area here, but I don't know. I mean, the stuff is fine. I mean, it's consuming Oppenheimer was good. I mean, the, I think telling the story of that bomb and is very relevant to the, yeah, you know, what it, happens with the Cold War and kind of where we still are. Definitely. But I, it's like 
man, they keep going back to the World War II thing. Going to keep doing it? How long mm-hmm. are we going to keep doing that? Okay. Yeah. So we're still doing it. And uh, yeah, we'll see if that shifts. They, they, they just make fun of like, I know serious filmmakers are like, they mock the comic book stuff. Right. And it's like, well, you know, kind of keep going back and telling stories from uh, World War II. Yeah. Probably a few too many times. Maybe well, you're talking about 80, 80 years at this point. Right. So it's wild. it is, it's a, it's, it's getting further and further in the rearview mirror, but you're right. There's, there's a struggle to find other stories that are as, as compelling from more recent history. So. Yeah. And typically tend to stay away from ones that make Americans look like awful people. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, yeah, those don't do as well in the box office. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. All right. Anyway, we're going to talk about football too. Um, you know, this isn't <laughs> this isn't a, like NPR or something like that. We we tried to we tried to get out on a a different tangent. Hopefully, we didn't lose too many people. But let's talk about football. We want to talk about Ken Dorsey every day. I think the question I have come up with in my head is I've I've been consuming a ton of film, and I'll have more detailed insights by the end of the week. But I think the question that is sort of rattling around with the Dorsey hire is very simple. Andrew, do you think Ken Dorsey was hired to help Kevin in the offense evolve, or was it a hire to help Deshaun Watson get back to Deshaun Watson? I asked that question because I see a lot of early similarities in the offensive structure, generally speaking. And uh, I kind of got myself thinking like, all right, if they couldn't bring in somebody with a little more, uh, a little different opinion, right? We missed out on Kellen Moore. Maybe that's a bit more driving different trains of thought. How about we hire a guy here who we can probably have not call plays, but has a track record of making quarterbacks of a similar type of mold, right? Obviously Cam Newton was uh, a bit more adept at running you know, there were designs for him and different things of that nature, but they brought out the best of him as a passer. And then we know he was the quarterback coach. Ken was with Josh Allen from ground zero to what he has become. And then obviously the offensive coordinator. So there's a a relationship there in the virtue of like a lot of people early in the career of Josh Allen kind of wrote him off. And now he's this perennial MVP favorite. So I find myself thinking, and, and this isn't like, defining the season or anything it's just i'm wondering from a strategic standpoint do we find ourselves thinking this oc hire was more as we know more and more about ken dorsey and what his offense looks like does it go down the path of helping like the goal here is to help watson become the best version of watson and that's what he's hired to do more than anything else or is he here to help rectify an offense and give it fresh perspective and i think andrew i lean toward the watson side of things but i'm curious your thought uh, early on here yeah, I mean, I think the 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 probably the genuine answer is both, right? But I think if you choose one, you lean towards the Watson thing because of the connections to his his most of his success as a coach in the NFL has been as a quarterback as coach. He has was the OC for a year and a half in Buffalo and got fired, right? So <laughs> his track record mostly is as a very successful quarterbacks coach. And I think that the offensive stuff will come along. I I do think that there's some stuff RPO wise, for example, that Buffalo does that, you know, we've been kind of hoping for in Cleveland, but, but I think how, how that gets communicated to the quarterback and how the offense really overall gets communicated to the players is probably the biggest thing, right. Of, 
Um, the the I think the way that he is able to relate to players is going to be a lot different than Alex Van Pelt. So I think it's it's really more in that nexus, right, of of his interface with the players. And I think I'm sure that Kevin is also good at that based on what we know about him as a coach, but it's also a question of, as we kind of talked about yesterday, making sure that it's not all on one person, Kevin Stefanski, to get the offense to run. So if he and Ken Dorsey are on the same page and and really able to implement the offense together through the coaches all the way down, it it probably becomes a little bit more seamless. And I think Dorsey's ability to relate to players is going to be different than Alex Van Pelt's. Yeah, I don't think there's a wrong answer to that question. I, I you, as I kind of think through it, you're right. It is both. That, that's the job description uh, is to is to have him improve the structure of what they do offensively, picking up Watts and making him a guy that he used to be. I just, you know, if you're looking at the positives and negatives of some of these quarterback coach only types, I think you you start to look at some of what Dorsey was able to do over a, a longer period of time with multiple quarterbacks. And I think that if I was hiring a guy that wasn't going to be calling plays, I, I would have to imagine he's at the top of that. I, I, I don't have any insight whether he's going to be calling them or not. That, that could still be up in the air. But my thought is if they were going to hand that job off to somebody, Kellen Moore is who they were pursuing. If they were not going to hand that job off to somebody, and have him more designated to handle both roles and be a better, just a more updated, fresher perspective, right? Forward thinking version of Alex Van Pelt. Maybe he'll still buy the pickup trucks or not. I don't know. We'll have to see. That's to be. I mean, I hope so. That it gives, gives a lot of folks that like to talk about stuff like that. Something to talk about. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the person who seemed to like to talk about it the most was the offensive coordinator getting interviewed neither here nor there. But I, I think what I like about, Dorsey is an avenue because I would have not, you know, I, there's several avenues I would have been fine with here. The Dorsey Avenue does come with proven experience in how to talk to quarterbacks and mold quarterbacks. And some of these guys did not have that. I think that's important to understand, at least the track record that should give you some encouragement about how they're going about fixing, getting Deshaun Watson and just kind of like honing in on that investment, I guess is the right way to say it. You know, because if again, if he's not doing the game planning stuff and he's he's more quarterback focused in terms of like what his quarterback is seeing, how he's processing it, a voice in his ear all the time from from sitting at a high angle, right? Talk about the booth gang. Uh, I, I I find myself having a lot of optimism about that. I think that that's also what I talk to Buffalo people about. Andrew is like, how would you like Ken Dorsey in the role of quarterbacks coach again? And all of them are like, we would love that. You know, so I don't think it's a big deal to have him labeled as the offensive coordinator if he's not handling the game by games, play by play decisions. I actually have a feeling this could be a slam dunk type of hire to uh, to make that work, because I think that there might be some league wide hesitancy based on, again, some of the things we said on yesterday's show Mm -hmm. about his ability to do it in game. I think there are a lot of game planners. There's not a good lot of good good to great game game plan execution errors. Right. I think. So that's a different thing. And what I, what I say by that is like looking at game tape and watching it, consuming it. Here are our cover two, three, six, nine beaters. 
We're going to use these plays when we think they're going to use these coverages based on their, you know, tendencies. Coming up with that stuff is a skill set on its own. In game, working the chessboard to build on plays to come back to later or to have built in counters for what teams like to do or what they might throw at you as a schematic wrinkle for the week and be able to on the fly handle that. I think it's something that if you talk again, you talk to people in Buffalo, he struggled with that sequencing and play layering is what I call it to build on things and make things better late. So if he's able to take that experience of failure and apply it to helping Kevin where Kevin is sitting there, maybe there were times last year, Andrew, where he's saying it's second and nine and he's saying, Hey, I need a third and long play dialed up. When we get done with this play, somebody have something for me. This is what I envision the issue being. I need this. Does somebody dial this up for me? Let's, let's talk about this. When we get on the mic, he could have an answer. And I think there maybe were times where he wasn't getting the help he needed or advice or tips, you know, because again, when you're calling plays and I think even Kevin talked about this when he was hired, I recall someone resharing that quote about like calling plays kind of sucks because it's happening so fast. You're making so many split second decisions. It's a lot of pressure on the play caller. So if you have somebody in your ear who, you know, can give you an answer, Hey, drive is going to be open on this play, man. They're going to run cover four. And it's a great answer to that concept. Let's let's high, low, you know, the, the weak side backer, he's not very good in this situation. If you have somebody giving you that and then you can make a play call off of it, that is really helpful for Kevin. And um, the more I get removed from the decision to go with Dorsey, I understand the pursuit of more, which you and I are in lockstep there, Andrew, of a belief that they were pursuing him pretty heavily. The, the, uh, the, the decision to land on Dorsey, I think it does give me, because of the intelligence, and less pressure, an idea that those two could work really well together for having somebody on the headset to give him some, give him some answers. And I'd imagine like having Reese and and Dorsey in the press box giving you vertical answers from above will be a dramatic improvement on what we have seen as far as helping Kevin in game. I think big picture the the stuff that at times has felt flawed with the Browns offense has not been sequencing or individual decisions, run pass, blah, blah, blah. It has been some of the scheme type stuff, some of the answers that they have lacked at times against, certainly against specific defenses. But in general, uh, things can be a little bit, I think, at times, stale, predictable. The predictable word comes to mind, right? Yeah. And so, so that's so if you could have somebody in the box exactly. say down, Andrew. Right. Hey, we 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 keep running flood from th- from three by one flood. Let's go two by two. Hey, Chad, talk to you know whoever at whatever wide receiver. Talk to Elijah. And this time we're going to motion him across. We're going to run it from two by two. I'd like him to climb to this depth. Like that may be stuff that they weren't getting. Yeah. That kind of like in game in-game wrinkle stuff that maybe they didn't have enough minds to put together or uh, 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 Kevin didn't trust mm-hmm. somebody up there or whoever else around him to consistently make those things, those recommendations with some results, right? Yeah. And I think at times the menu coming into the week was a little bit thin that they didn't have enough stuff that they liked. Uh, and so I think that, I think you saw that change obviously when 
Flacco came in because I thought that there was more stuff that they could get to because of who he is as a quarterback and his his comfort as a, as a veteran quarterback. But but part of that is what goes on during the week, how the guys are prepared, all those sorts of things. And so I think yeah, I think having more offensive minds that can can really step it up a level in terms of preparation, in terms of what goes into the game plan is is if if you get all of that so that Kevin as a play caller in the game has better uh ingredients to cook with so to speak i think as far as as a chef on game day he's he's great in terms of knowing having a feel for what is necessary when i think he has shown time and time again his ability to dial up a drive when needed and i think if that list of answers that he has is a little bit longer his ability to do that is only going to be stronger. I'm excited to see how they work together, man. I don't know how many games of data it'll take to see what is different, but I'm watching Buffalo and they, their run game is different. So I, I will be interested to see if the run game carry over, if he brings some of his thought process from how they ran stuff, both, you know, Tommy Rees there at, at Notre Dame and Alabama. And then obviously what insights Dorsey has from his time in Buffalo too, that, the run game stuff could look better from the gun and under center a little bit, a little more downhill under center stuff instead of lateral under center stuff. And then, um, you know, concepts in the shotgun that, that didn't necessarily have long developing pulling concepts, right? So uh, I'll just be interested to see if those things trickle over. Uh, continue on the pursuit of figuring out more and more about Dorsey and everything I come across will appear on this podcast in some way, shape, or form. So excited to keep sharing that stuff with you. Uh, we do have some updates from Mobile. We're going to take a quick break and then talk through who we had as some of the standouts on offense and defense and our relative interest in some of those names. So we will be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, the OBR is lucky enough to have Ian Valentino, uh, formerly known as Ian Wharton, um, who had... Uh, he changed his last name recently. And uh, anyway, Ian's been around the NFL draft for a long time, covered it, written about it, podcasted on it. And um, we were uh, lucky enough to link up with him and have some insights. I know Pete Smith is going to be down there for us covering it live too. I think maybe another OBR staff guy will be down there as well. So we're going to have some on-site people in Mobile. And then we're lucky enough that the practice tape gets shared too. So you can go through that. There's actually some live stuff every day on NFL network that you can watch practices and stuff like that. Hopefully it's a good week of weather down there. So nothing gets shifted inside because if it's inside the observation stuff, isn't, um, it isn't ideal Andrew as it is outside where you get a lot of uh, different vantage points on practice, but let's go through some of the names that stood out the first day on offense. All right. First standout is Brendan Rice from USC uh, played with Caleb Williams the last two years, kind of a bigger body, six two two twelve at the weigh in. Uh, son of Jerry Rice, that doesn't hurt, right? You know, just to have that background there. He is um, the younger brother of the two. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrew, uh, I think his older brother played in the Pac-12 as well, UCLA? UCLA and then transferred to UNLV. Did he make a run in the NFL or did he not have a chance? Uh, He didn't. uh, He might have been like a practice squad guy. Um, Yeah, he tried out with the Ravens, tried out with the 49ers, got on with Washington during training camp, but got hurt. So uh, there you go. a little bit of time in the CFL, not much. Well, it'd be interesting to see if the Browns are after a guy of that size again with Cedric Tillman, right? Um, you know, kind of, kind of more of that X receiver that we're, that we're, that we're talking about a little bit. So he says, Ian notes the fluidity is there to, to do some of the stuff that you want bigger vertical route tree runners to do post crossers, kind of the vertical, like flat line concepts, back shoulder fades. He can do a little bit of that, but 
um, jumping up draft wards a little bit, name to pay attention to. Roman Wilson, Michigan, you probably remember him from Michigan's playoff run. Smaller body player, but good 4-3 speed is what the expecting um, number is to be there. Got all open. Uh, I, I think he was open all over the field from some highlights that I've seen both in one-on-ones and uh, you know some of the stuff that they were able to do in team and Skelly period. So like it, the thing that fascinates me the most is these guys going from Michigan's offense, which is so archaic into the NFL and just like, Oh, these guys are breaking out here. That's uh, that's so weird. I also saw today, and I wanted to ask you about this. You know, there's a lot of belief that Justin Herbert will benefit a lot from Harbaugh, and I think that's likely to be true. But but in Harbaugh's like three of his last four NFL seasons, or or you know, I think even carrying into the Andrew Luck, his Andrew Luck's, I think Luck spent two seasons at Stanford with him. I could be wrong on that, but they ran it more than they threw it. Like they're they're for sure. Jim is going to run it a mm-hmm. significant amount. So the attempts for Herbert are likely to be down more than anything else and taking stock and who's, I don't know if Eckler goes back there, but taking stock and whoever the running back will be for, for the chargers is going to be interesting. But in general, Andrew, that's one of the biggest things I'm, I'm fascinated with for Harbaugh is yeah, I think you can bully ball the big 10, but I don't think you're going to be able to bully ball the NFL the way you used to back with the Kaepernick days and things of that. nature. so how he evolves offensively as a play caller is, uh, is really, really interesting to me. You know, so uh, that's something I'm paying attention to. Anyway, back to Roman Wilson. You know, Browns need speed. He's going to have that, right? Uh, I think that, that that's something they're going to be drawn to. Uh, he obviously can do some of the lateral quick cut stuff, but I but I think that, that again, uh, when you pay attention to Roman Wilson, it's probably going to be some, some you know, 40-yard dash stuff that you're really drawn to. Jordan Morgan, Arizona offensive lineman. Uh, disappointing length weigh-ins, which is something to to obviously pay attention to because length helps you a ton at tackle with keeping people, uh, these ridiculous edge rushers from bending the corner and putting a hand into your chest plate and making life difficult. So under that 33 inch, uh, you know, reach is not where you want to be, but it doesn't define you as a tackle. But this is a name that you and I wrote on many times. Yeah. I, throughout I mean, the season on those. The thing is, is days. it doesn't define you as a tackle in the NFL. Unfortunately, the Browns are very <laughs> but conservative I, I, about measurements. I wonder, though, if this is a player who slips in the second round because of the measurement right. scare. Right. That a little they're bit like, of a JOK situation. We need to jump on mm-hmm. this opportunity because well, of their tackle situation. Yeah. He, he's a well-rounded tackle that I think is probably underrated because of some of the the impression stuff that he, he gives of, as being a little bit of, of a lightweight. But in reality, he's actually, a, I, I think, as good of a – run blocker as he is a pass blocker it's just that he has the rep because of his build that he can't do it can't do both and so I I think it's a it's a rare opportunity what I see in that player is a rare opportunity to get a guy who can start in the NFL at left tackle anywhere other than the top 15 picks of the draft because typically that's where that guy has to be drafted yeah so Ian noted today showed off the quickness and the kick step it's defined his game getting back hitting drop depth right playing the lack of length didn't show up today which is a big win for him was his effectiveness in the run game and the power was evident. So, you know, th- there's, there's obviously there's life b- for the guys below 33 yeah. inch arms, yeah. but you know, you're always looking for like, it's, it's like a wide receiver without speed. You just have to figure out different ways to win. And that's sure. something that caused for concern. But again, the Browns aren't picking 14 here. They're picking what? 50, 55, 54. Yeah, 54. 54. So I'm going to screw that up 18 more times before the draft. <laughs> but yeah, like that's the thing that could get a guy to push down to that. Spot. Or be in the forties and you trade up to go get him. Exactly. You trade, you do a so. pick swap or whatever. But I think that what I see from Morgan is that he wins in the run game more like a guard. And then 
pass pro has the foot quickness to win like a tackle should. So I don't necessarily have a problem with that combination, frankly. Like I, I no. think it's it's okay, but he 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 tends to just in the run game really latch on and take guys for a ride. So especially too when the Browns move their tackles, I mean they like to get those guys exactly. out of space and run yeah. them in the run game too. And I think I, I like his fit for the Browns a lot. I, it's, so a, is it's a player it's I'm a, watching closely. A big part of their what Dorsey liked to do too so far from what I've watched. All right. So Rasheen Ali is another player running back from Marshall. I'm just going to give you names uh, kind of quicker here at the end. So two running backs, Rasheen Ali out of Marshall and then Marshawn Lloyd. I know Marshawn Lloyd has a lot of guys that like him. The running back class is weird. It was, it was not a very deep class in general. And then like Trevion Henderson went back and some others that people weren't expecting to go back is this is kind of a general point that I think I've seen a lot of people make. And I think Jim Nagy, the director of the senior bowl talked about this today, which is NIL players returning, making money has really put a strain on the end of the draft quality so like late round guys would be coming out more often because it was their only opportunity to make some money or bet on themselves. But if someone's offering you $250,000, $300,000 to stay in school for another year, you're going to take that because duh, right? Especially if you're a late round guy, develop yourself, see if the next year provides you a little bit more. The Browns have a ton of late round picks. So I would hope that they would package some of those and try to move up a little bit or try to get some more top 100 guys, if at all possible. Now that's Mm -hmm. not some secret. The rest of the league doesn't know, (laughs) but I just would like to see them be a bit more aggressive in the up moving market than maybe they traditionally have been. You know what I'm saying? That or veteran trades. I'm all for that. Veteran trades would be great. Yes. Try and get, get, get in on some guys that maybe have disappointed in their previous stop that you can get, you can take on the contract and, and bring them in and see if you can do something better. I, I think both of those are viable opportunities for the Browns that, that they should explore because I agree with you. When you've got two fifths, two sixths, and two sevenths, I, I don't yeah. want them making those no. six picks. I'll just no. say that. I, I would be happy with three picks. Yeah. Maybe four, but or turning them into a round earlier the next year. Right, exactly. Yeah, sure. Right. Trading out is I'm yeah. good with that, but yeah. Where they're at, considering the the lack of wealth that they have at the top of the draft, they need to. I think this is really a year to consider trading into next year's draft and then trading for some veteran talent and trying to hit like three or four picks well, and then and then move on. They, the Browns are not star for young talent right now because they had a very good draft last year. I agree, and and we think they're going to be smart, frugal, and opportunistic in free agency again. So. Uh, how they handle the end of the draft is going to be not necessarily something that defines anything they do this year. But I think looking at how they look at maybe like the following year when things get even tighter and you have to have more picks that matter to supplement some of the people you can't bring back because eventually they are going to have to let Watson's cap hit the number that it's intended to hit. So uh, just something to pay attention to. I know we will be. But again, Rashina Ali, Marshawn Lloyd, I think Lloyd is more of a top end of the draft guy. You're talking day two, late day two type. Uh, top five running back at the position sort of uh, style. Ironically, Ian considers him reminiscent of younger Kareem Hunt. Um, he's got some choppy feet. He said the burst out of cuts are impressive. Mindset needed to create explosive plays out of nothing. Um, you know, they, they thought that stuff was on display. All right, a couple wide receivers stood out today. Worth noting, Lad McConkey. Well, the Browns are like, listen, the Browns are hunting for in my opinion, a type of wide receiver. They, they have Elijah Moore for another year, so you don't need to define the future of your wide receiver room around what Elijah Moore can or can't do. But having said that, and the idea that he did have some moments at the end of the year, I think that really mattered. To me, I am not trying to replicate a smaller outside receiver, right? Like 
go back and look at Elijah Moore coming out of the draft. There were like Antonio Brown comparisons mm-hmm. that were happening. And I understand this draw to these two two wide receivers on display today, right? Ricky Pearsall and Ladd McConkey. McConkey out of Georgia. Pearsall has been around a little bit, transferred around into his career at Florida. I'm not saying these guys are like, you know, stuck in the slot types, but I would prefer to have some meaningful slot experience because I think the Browns have been missing that. Like playing Cedric Tillman in the slot has not been a worthwhile endeavor. He's not that player. You also tried to put Elijah Moore in the slot. He's not a slot player. So you have this paradox of types that don't really fit well together. And I don't think attack the field very well together. So I'm looking for somebody predominantly, not David Bell, who's like, oh, he can be a big slot or Cedric Tillman, he can be a big slot. No, I would like someone who knows how to operate in the tackle box as a wide receiver and can make Nickelback defense hell. Like that's Mm -hmm. what I want. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can get that in the mid to late rounds. Like Absolutely. you don't have to reach for that like crazy. So somebody of this nature, I don't know. I haven't studied Pearsall or McConkie, but like I think that the, the you're underselling the athleticism. The old adage of like the slot receivers are more quick than fast. It seems like McConkie can really run. He's got the the straight line speed to match some of the foot speed stuff here. I don't know about Pearsall. I will say Ricky Pearsall made one of the best catches you will ever see in a college football game. If you want to find that, all you have to do is search Ricky Pearsall one-handed catch. It is is pretty ridiculous. Uh, sort of reminiscent to some of the best stuff you've ever seen from Odell Beckham going up the slide. He's going up the seam, and like the ball is on his back shoulder. If he's on the left side, he like reaches his right hand up and palms it, and it's really impressive. So I'm just saying Pearsall stood out today to Ian. Um, he struggled with injuries throughout his career, so that's never something you want. But I do think from his tape, I've seen in limited fashion because Florida was not the most fun program to watch this past year with quarterback play. Uh, Today, he noted that he had the uh, efficient footwork, his ability to sell routes, great acceleration, and was just, you know, generally open across the field. So I think that obviously Pearsall, McConkie, we'll see how they perform in games. We'll see what their testing data looks like. But some of these guys that you're flirting with at 54, what is it? This is something again, I'm going to scoop 89. Where am I in the eighties or something like that? Like you, you just need to, to make sure that you're not like repeating types of players too many times, because I think you can get yourself in a position where you're, you're, I don't want them to like, say we have to pick a type because that's also dangerous because you eliminate some talent when you do that. But I am a little worried about the Browns having a wide receiver group that meshes well together. I think that's a fair concern at this point, right? Yeah, I, I I think that they have a bunch of guys right now. The thing about the Browns receiver room right now is that they have a bunch of guys that ideally would be our great depth options, right? That that have some things that they do well, but are not really well-rounded players. So the, the, the need the Browns have is really at the top end of the draft, but of course they don't have a pick there. So how they address the type of player they need with their draft picks is, is, is really an intriguing question. One of the things that I've been watching sort of paradoxically, when you watch the senior bowl, as much as you're like looking for guys that stand out, I'm actually also looking at guys that I know are good football players that struggle because does that impact their draft stock? Does that allow the Browns to get a, a chance at a guy that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise the two names that I'll just mention 
Xavier Leggett from South Carolina and Tez Walker from North Carolina. Yeah. Those, those guys both got a little bit of criticism today. And those are both guys that I, I know can play in the NFL. I, I, I feel pretty confident about that. So that, that is as much as anything else, that's kind of the way that I think about it. But I agree with you that I think a natural slot receiver with more, with more athleticism and explosiveness than David Bell is on my wish list. Do you think that they could put Amon Ross St. Brown in the draft again? Could they, if they did that, that'd be, that'd be great. You're, you're talking like just a classic do over situation. Yeah. we yeah. well, we, we'd rename him something else and then we mm. could draft him and be sneaky I about see. it. Yeah. It's worth right. a shot because Anthony Schwartz, uh, that, yeah, that one's going to, that's just the guy I want. Like he's not no, a I hear you. fast receiver, right. but everything else about what he does is so good, man. Right. So, Route, uh, right. And I also want somebody who's mad, who like, like I want to have, I want to draft someone, not that he has to be Trey Palmer from the Buccaneers where he texts every, like he tweets out every time he's, he wakes up pissed off or whatever mm-hmm. that is. It's kind of funny. Um, but I'm talking like, I want a guy who says, I wrote down the 13 wide receivers drafted in front of me. Find that guy who's an absolute maniac because those tend to seem to be the ones who work out a little bit. But we are going to stop this podcast right here. We've covered a lot from the offensive side of the football, you know, between the Ken Dorsey information we wanted to go over today and then obviously talking about what we learned from standout performances in Mobile. We are going to shift to a second podcast you'll have coming up a little later today where we are going to break down the defensive side of the football in Mobile, who stood out there, some things to understand about the Browns' focus on defense in this draft, and then close with some around the NFL where some big names decided to stay in their locations In a surprising turn, the Steelers hired an offensive coordinator and the Ravens just might be losing some important pieces. So plenty of great stuff to come in the second part of this pod. Check that out. Until then, we appreciate you being here, stopping by, listening to the OBR. You know, making that a part of your day is always a very appreciated thing. Rate and review the podcast if you guys can and check out the OBR website for all the Senior Bowl coverage you need, plus much more about your everyday Cleveland Browns information that keeps you in the know about your favorite team so again thanks for being here be well go browns